Welcome back to another episode of Sharing Knowledge Series. I'm Kevin Vondro, Chief Lending Officer at Westfield Bank and host of Sharing Knowledge. Today we're going to be talking about cyber insurance and really focusing on what people need to know to protect their business from hackers and ransomware. Well, thank you for joining us today. Uh, we're talking about a really relevant, important topic, and that's cybersecurity. And we have two great guests joining us today. We have Lacey Rex, who is the VP and Cyber Strategic Leader for Oswald Corporation. Lacey, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and what your role is at Oswald? Um, yes, so at Oswald Companies, I focus entirely on cyber liability insurance and technology errors and emissions for our clients. Um, cyber liability obviously is a really important topic right now and um, as a result there's just a lot of demand for it but at Oswald Companies it's something that we find very important and we've invested a team that's focused on it. Um, Oswald is located and headquartered in Cleveland, Ohio and we have offices in the Midwest and the Mid-Atlantic region and uh, we're a full-service risk management uh, firm so but I focus entirely on cyber and technology errors and missions. Well, thank you for joining us. Our, our next guest is Fred Franks, who's the Chief Strategy Officer at Fit Technologies. Fred, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, Fit Technology and, and what your role is? Yes, uh, so I'm the Chief Strategy Officer at Fit Technologies, and we're a managed IT company, which means organizations trust us to be their IT department. So we work with organizations large and small, for-profit and non-profit, help them navigate the IT journey, making sure that they are putting the right tools in place, including cybersecurity. Yeah, and it's so important for small businesses today, as we're going to learn more about um, that through, the, through this whole episode. So before we talk about cyber, cybersecurity insurance or cyber insurance, let's talk a little bit more about what is cybersecurity and, and what are some of the like, common threats that, that companies face. And, and Fred, how, how if we start with you? Sure. I, I think at the macro level, there's several different types of threats, most of which small businesses are not interfacing. So like a nation state where you have trade secrets that you're going to help some uh, foreign company, you know, or they're going to try to use to help a foreign company build up, you know, think of a large Fortune 500, you have formulas and such. So that's probably not the case. The other one could be hacktivism. Now, depending on the organization that you are, you may have some enemies. And so hacktivists will uh, basically deface your website, try to make you look bad or things of that nature, but they're not trying to make money. The criminal, the organized crime side, that is where we see most of the traction because there's money to be made. And so on that front, a lot of the attacks are coming to try to either hold you hostage or try to use you as a jump point for somebody else that they're trying to target. So as we talk about cyber insurance, and, and Lacey, maybe you can really talk, talk more about that and explain what cyber insurance is and maybe some of the areas that it really helps protect businesses. Sure. So um, cyber liability insurance, it's um, at its heart, it's just first party and third party coverage. So it's simply protecting liability. So if you're inadvertently transmitting malicious software to a third party, um, or it could be you inadvertently send an email with privileged information or confidential information, any kind of liability that would arise, and then first party. So it could be the actual event management. So it could be the crisis management cost. It could be digital forensics and disaster recovery. It could be the legal um, business interruption. I think it's a common um, misconception that 
business interruption on a property policy would respond, but there has to be a physical business interruption. So your cyber liability is the only policy that's gonna make you whole after a non-physical business interruption, so that business income loss. It's also gonna protect against um, any kind of cyber extortion, so the cost actually pay the ransomware and gets your um, organization back up and running, um, restoration of data, all that good stuff. So it's pretty comprehensive um, and multifaceted policy. And, and I think the key theme is your general liability is not going to protect you from any type of cyber attack or, or situation that, that you may encounter. Yeah, no, that's correct. And actually, the carriers have been putting exclusions on, specifically on the other policy, to eliminate what's called silent cyber, where it could be recovered under another policy. So they're clarifying their intent to not cover that cyber liability exposure. So cyber liability policy really does fill an important gap in coverage. So would companies I guess, apply for cybersecurity, what are some of the things that they should be proactive about before they, they, they talk to their agent about cyber insurance? Historically, it's been a very soft market, um, very competitive, lots of capacity. Um, some would jokingly say if you had a pulse and some revenue, you could get coverage. I would say now it is very difficult to obtain coverage. Um, it's also very expensive as well. So what we find is the carriers are really scrutinizing controls. They're scanning your network. They are looking to determine, um, you know, what's your patch management process, access control. Um, do you use multi-factor authentication? Are you um, using it throughout your network? So privilege access management, remote access, email. They want to see, um, you know, that, that you're doing all of the security training and awareness with your employees, phishing testing, things like that. And they also want to see that there is some process in place for regular, um, you know, incident response planning and um, that you understand your recovery time objective as well. What are your backups like? So it's a rigorous process. Um, if you are not currently have any coverage, it's important to sit down and evaluate where you are. Uh, and then also, if you have coverage now, have a conversation with your broker, understand what your controls are, because chances are your renewal is going to be extremely difficult. So getting ahead of it as soon as possible is critical. Yeah. And you mentioned multi-factor authentication, and it's, it seems simple, but it's probably one of the biggest steps that companies can take to help protect information. Um, and I think we'd, we'd be surprised at the number of companies that don't have that in place. Um, I was at a, at, a, at a seminar and I was talking uh, with Fred about this and it was, it was said that close to 80% of companies don't have some form of multi-factor authentication in place. It's scary when you think about that and maybe that number's not quite true. I, as Fred, I know we were talking about that, maybe elaborate a little bit. Yeah, I think when we look at multi-factor, it's not just one element. Maybe you have it on your email, but you don't have it on VPN or you have it on some people, but not all people. So that number could be more realistic than maybe what we think it is just because it's not being comprehensive in terms of full comprehensive MFA, multi-factor authentication being put in place. And, and I think that's important, Fred, when we talk about that multi-factor authentication. Some companies, are, or they may have it on certain products or, or applications, but not all. And, and I think that's the key to help protect information. What types of business should apply for cybersecurity? Fred, we'll start yeah. with you. I think, I think the simple answer is every business and every organization should have it, uh, but it's important to make sure you're identifying what levels you need, because just like with any kind of insurance or any kind of risk, uh, the limits are endless, and what's the reality, what's the actual uh, outcome you're looking to 
you know, go after. So for organizations I work with when it comes to just risk in general on the cybersecurity front, we're looking at what are the most critical applications, both for your operations as well as important data that you would lose a lot of face and trust with your constituents and shareholders, stakeholders, if that were to be exposed or ransomed. One thing that our audience should take into consideration is cyber attacks aren't just on large companies. Uh, it, it could be anyone. And, and we recently had some companies at the bank that, uh, smaller companies that were compromised. So it, it is a reality out there that uh, anyone can be impacted by it. All right, as we're talking about cybersecurity insurance, Lacey, what, what are some of the claims that you are witnessing or experiencing right now from customers? Ransomware, cyber extortion continues to be one of the loss leaders. And uh, we're seeing an incredible amount of those types of claims. You know, you're common, our clients are being extorted for money because their information is being held. And I think a lot of clients also think, well, I'll just restore for my backups, no problem. Typically they're going after your backups. They're gonna try and um, make it so you cannot utilize them. They're going to corrupt them in some way. They're going to delete them. Um, we're also, also finding that even if you do have uh, viable backups, that they may actually steal your data. So exfiltration of data is a huge issue right now. Um, Coveware, which is a ransomware negotiation firm, they recently put out their statistics. I think 88% of all incidents that they saw last year had um, threats to actually exfiltrate data. So even if you can recover, do you want your information out for the world to see personal emails? Do you want your financials? Do you want confidential information? Um, we also still see a lot of business email compromise types of claims because clients don't have multi-factor authentication. And uh, unfortunately, we see a lot of issues where you're entrusting your data to third parties and those third parties are having the actual incident themselves. So your data center that you've entrusted your information to has been compromised or um, a software provider, things like that. So unfortunately, um, and then just common human error as well still happens. So someone inadvertently exposing data to the internet or it could be you know, just sending information out through social engineering and information being stolen. So there's still, um, all of these things really blends to uh, be incredibly expensive to remediate as well. No, and, and you bring up a good point is third parties that typically you don't have control of, but who's responsible for checking to make sure they have the right processes and procedures in place and controls. You know, as you're talking about who is in control and responsible for your data, look at who's hosting and housing the data, uh, the data centers, the cloud providers, and even the IT services providers. Are they SOC 2 compliant? Do they have policies and practices in place to help protect you and themselves? Uh, because a lot of these uh, centers of uh, data as well as support are the largest targets. And, and a good, uh, another thing to think about is, or to elaborate more on that, is it's vendor management. And a lot of times small companies don't have either the skill set inside or the resources to do that properly where they might have to depend on a, on a third party. And that's where it's important where a, a company like Fit could come in, into play to help out and, and uh, help companies through that whole process. Yeah, I think it's important to know, and I tell clients this all the time, you're outsourcing the function, not the liability. So I think it's a misnomer that your information, because you have an IT provider that's helping you manage your software, 
or if you have a third party that's hosting um, you know, your ERP system or something that they're going to be responsible if you have an incident. Generally, what we find is they're pushing all that back on their clients. So then in turn, you need to notify. So even if your system hasn't been compromised, you still may be required to notify um, because ultimately your customers are entrusting their data to you. Good point. So what do businesses do if they can't quite qualify for cyber insurance? Are there things they should put in place right now as they go to help protect themselves? Yeah, I, I think just like anything else, if you don't have insurance, it's a, it's a huge risk that you're carrying yourself. But that doesn't mean that you don't have the opportunity to help lower that risk and make investments. And so I think a lot of organizations uh, that are, as Lacey mentioned, are either not quite insured or they're losing their insurance coverage. Uh, they have a, a huge opportunity to actually have in front of them some of the things that the insurance companies are saying these are areas you should really focus in on and so that could build a nice one to three year roadmap of chipping away at this to say these are things we need to do anyway let's make this investment and hopefully we can get insurance and, and Lacey, what what is some of the processes that companies can do or should do and, and maybe timing around that if they don't quite qualify for cyber insurance now what can they do so maybe they qualify is it in a year two years six months i i, I don't know what the what the, the answer is on that maybe you can help uh, elaborate hopefully it doesn't take two years yeah. but um i think there is a pathway to insurability right um it's just more working through and if you haven't been making the investment into it or operational technology if you have end of life technology that you have not been updating uh, maybe you have old servers that are running um, you know, an operating system that's no longer supported. It's important to really evaluate and then understand what, what do we need to do. I'm not saying that a company would not be insurable. It's just, you know, coverage may be limited. We may be talking about things like co-insurance or we may be talking about limited first party coverage. Um, so it's really understanding what your risk tolerance is and what kind of retention or amount that you would be responsible for, understanding your risk tolerance. But pathway to insurability, I think it's really just the basics. It's um, patch management, understanding any kind of end of life technology where it can no longer be supported by technical support and you, it can't be updated any longer. Um, and then also access control, focusing on that with multi-factor authentication. Um, and then just really focusing on also um, incident response planning. I think a tabletop is really critical for any organization. You know, we have fire drills for a reason. So, you know, looking at and testing that plan is really crucial. And, and I think one of the key ingredients of that is having the conversation with your agent, getting in front of them early in the process and then talking to them about it, but then also making sure that they have a specialization in cybersecurity because not all carriers do or, or, or agencies do. And I think it's key to partner with someone like yourself to be able to talk through that process and, and build that, that plan and, and, and put that security and insurance in place. Sure. I mean, I've, unfortunately, lately I've had some really difficult, rough renewals for clients, um, anywhere from 60 to 300% increases. I don't like delivering that news. I want to have good news to share with my clients. So um, I'm working with clients right now, nine months in advance of their renewal, understanding what their controls are, where are we, what do we need to do, what are our expectations. Um, so understanding and managing that. And also, if you're looking at IT budgeting right now, 
you should be talking to your management team if there's any IT professionals that are listening to this, um, talking to your IT team and making sure that they understand this is a business risk. Um, you know, most organizations go out of business if they can't successfully recover from an incident. So, you know, making sure that you're investing into IT and your operational technology as well, and really looking at that as a important risk transfer mechanism is really crucial. So I would say too, as far as the increases that we're seeing, it's industry-wide too. It's not just um, you know happening in Ohio or in the Midwest, it's across the country, unfortunately, and across the world. I deal with a lot of London brokers and they're dealing with the same situation that we are here domestically. No, yeah. yeah. and even though you know, the rates are going up, I, I think it's important that businesses put it in perspective because the alternative is if they don't have it, if they don't have the right protection in place, they might not be around in the future. So while it could be a cost or an increase in cost, it's probably well worth the investment um, for that protection. So let's talk about worst case scenario. I have been hacked, the business has been hacked. Fred, what, 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 is, what steps did that company take? I mean, as, as they do it, they, they understand, oh geez, this has happened. And like, I'm sure right away, you know, like panic sets in and, and, and what are those next steps to help you know, like smooth out that process and, and, and go on a path of recovery. Yeah, so I think the first thing is to shut all of the hatches. A lot of organizations make the mistake of thinking this is small and I can continue on. So we're just gonna remediate this one machine and, or this one area uh, with one application and keep carrying on as business as usual. As tempting as that is because you wanna continue operating and functioning, you may be opening a lot more doors. So the first thing you wanna do is actually shut everything down. This is a, this is a tough call to make but organizations that have done this have had 100% success that I've worked with. So shutting it down sooner than later and starting to identify what you can slowly open back up is the right approach to take. And that's a painful one to take, but it's less painful uh, when you go through constantly playing whack-a-mole with what's up and what's what's down. Uh, so that's first, you know, the, the process of shutting down. The second one, uh, after you have identified what is actually the case, is making sure that you have a solid backup. So as Lacey mentioned, some things are backed up, but the backups were also, uh, you know, problematic. They maybe have been sitting there slowly doing things to the uh, essential data over a period of time, or actually try to attack the backup server itself. So that's the second piece. Do you have a, re a restore point that you can work from? And then the last one is communicating effectively. Communicating to your staff what's going on uh, so there's not chaos or confusion and people can work around and find the solutions that'll get them to where they need to be to operate as best as they can. And then communicating externally. Are you healthcare or another industry where you actually have to report uh, and your mandatory requirement to do so? And working with your PR because you may wanna do so from a core value perspective. But it, uh, the communications is also key. And then after that, it's really the methodical restoration uh, which making sure you have the bandwidth of a team. So if you're doing this internally, you're gonna need to tap on additional resources because you know a ratio of one to 50 or one to 300 employees to IT people is going to be problematic when you come to that restore point if it's anything sizable. Yeah, sounds like they have to have a, a disaster recovery plan in, in place right. basically. I mean, a lot of times we think about disasters and we think about the physical disasters and we don't think about other disasters that aren't and, and can have a huge impact on, on your business. Um, talk a little about timing, because I, I, I heard that's key, because if you find out that you've been inf infiltrated or, or hacked, timing is everything, right? Because the quicker you, you find out and, and eliminate it, the better off you are, because the longer you let somebody in your system, the more damage that, that can happen. That's right. And unfortunately, most of the time, from a time frame, timing perspective, most of the time, uh, you find out days, weeks, months later, 
uh, from when the actual incident started. And so a lot of information has already been you know, touched most likely. But you wanna operate under that every minute counts. So from a timing perspective, as quickly as possible, as soon as you identify that there's something going on, you wanna shut it down in, you know, when there's a device or a data area that's compromised. Um, same thing with the credentials. So once a credential is identified, you're shutting it down and you're working to remediate both the mailbox or the data set or whatever have you, that end user getting them back online, but shutting it down as soon as possible. Uh, so the timing, you know, depending on the size of the event and how many people and how many data sets are impacted, you could be looking at minutes for something that's just an individual user, all the way up to weeks or months, depending if it's the entire organization. And I would say, too, it's one of the biggest challenges that we have um, as far as claims getting paid. It, it, it's the reporting, really. Um, typically, our clients are pretty happy with the process. Um, where we see them trip up is when they don't notify. So most of the policies have what is called a breach response coach. So it's someone that's available 24 seven. Um, it's a hotline, generally it's an attorney, and you're able to contact and ask any questions. So typically we find these things happen at inconvenient times. It's gonna happen on Friday, it's going to happen on a holiday. Um, it's not going to be convenient for anyone and it's incredibly stressful. So being able to hand off is really critical. So um, generally what we wanna see is contacting the breach coach hotline and then also contacting your brokers really critical so they can be your claims advocate and make sure things continue to move smoothly for you. Um, generally what they do is you'll begin working with the right privacy and response um, firm. They will then engage on your behalf a third-party contract for a disaster recovery incident response firm. They will come in, they will review, determine how they, um, how they were able to access your system and then actively also, it's usually a parallel path. So they'll work to determine if you have viable backups and if you can back up. If not, they will then um, begin working alongside typically with a ransomware negotiation firm, um, trying to get that extortion down, understand what that process is, who is the bad actor, how, um, what is their history like? Do you generally, are you able to restore? Because um, typically, you know, it can be a situation maybe where they're a bad actor where you typically, you know, get the decryption code, but then maybe you're not able to restore. They track those metrics pretty closely, but the average duration of an incident is 22 days. So that's from beginning to end. So it can take time to get back up and running fully. You may be um, partially restored and still recovering, but it's important to refrain from using business email um, during the incident until you determine they're actually out. And um, usually they're trying to deal and work with the bad actors through um, different types of emails maybe. So I, I oftentimes find that having a personal email is really important. Um, a lot of business owners don't have that. So having a personal email is really critical. Uh, but then at the end of it, so it's also if there has been a business income loss, um, but there also may be liability. So working alongside your carrier is really important to determine it. Um, you usually have to put together some proof of loss with regards to your business income loss. So um, you may actually have a forensic accountant that you're working with as well. So it's important to note that that's part of your policy as well. It can get very expensive to investigate and get things back up and running. So it's pretty complex. Um, so having a claims advocate and having the right carrier to help is really crucial. It sounds like you probably need a, a secondary communication process as well. Um, if, if your email, that, that's your normal mode of communication. If that's down, how else do you get in touch with, with customers? Yeah, absolutely. And then it's also understanding. Sometimes 
The response times for states vary. So having that legal component to help you navigate is really critical. But responding and telling someone that you've had a breach when you actually haven't had a breach can make things much worse. So we always tell clients refrain from using breach until you actually know it is. It has different legal connotations. So um, we always say incident. And uh, you know, so you want to make sure that you're working with the experts that can help you and determine it and um, get you back up and running as fast as they can. You know, more and more of our, our software and our applications are cloud-based. Does that give you more protection or does it give does it give like hackers more access to your information? I'm, I'm curious what your thoughts are around that, Fred. So I, I think that's a great question. I'd like to answer it by taking a look at really the context of the, the times we're in. So moving from largely uh, you know, agrarian to industrial with a revolution of, an, of industrial revolution where uh, companies and organizations were able to do things more efficiently through mass production, we've now moved into the digital era where things are more rapidly done, uh, built, delivered through a digital means. And we've seen a lot of businesses and organizations be disrupted by this change uh, from a competitive perspective. So Blockbuster Video is a common case that people use. And sometimes even tech companies like BlackBerry fail to continue to iterate, and so they, uh, they lose out. I think what a lot of people look at those cases and say that's really about the go-to-market strategy, the delivery or the operations and the production, but they aren't looking at the risk side, and it's actually just as dramatic. So what we're seeing is a shift from uh, the, the ability for somebody to inside the organization do something, maybe a, a bad actor that's employed there or somebody entering the premises is now able to do this from anywhere in the world and they have a lot more smarter tools to be able to do this, just like we have the ability to deliver our services and offerings to the mass uh, market. These uh, criminals are able to do things in a more efficient way from anywhere, just as simple. So the, the level of uh, sophistication that they have has continued to grow. And so when it comes to, is it more uh, impactful or are we more at risk? Absolutely. Because of just the same way we're able to enter a market, think about a company that wants to start up, the cost to start up a business now, turn up a website, have an email address, and even source uh, you know, third parties to deliver or produce uh, is so much easier. The same thing for the criminals. It's so much easier for them to enter into uh, your digital environment and to use some of the free software they're able to get out there uh, to use that and do that uh, sort of activity. So compromising your accounts, taking over your systems. Uh, so the risk is much higher, much, much higher. So as technology continues to evolve, what do you see in the future around cyber attacks? Yeah, well, I think what we're seeing is uh, the good news is, uh, so it's not all gloom and despair, is that the protection side is really starting to catch up. Uh, and so there's a lot of companies, uh, Microsoft and many others out there, uh, that have invested millions and millions of dollars on solving this problem. Uh, so that's the good news. And what I see happening is really having a more of a 360 degree view of your digital uh, environment. So that's your emails, your data, your accounts, uh, all of the things that you would consider to be digital. Having a view into a window and all those things so when things start to happen, it's not happening in just one lane. Right? So if, if I have a computer that's compromised and I'm seeing an account logging in from some other location than where it says you are, we're starting to see to be able to pull those analytics together and say there's a trend happening and we're able to catch things sooner with a risk score uh, of activity that's happening. So 
where historically a lot of these things we would try to harden and secure one element of the technology, we're actually able to start looking at all these different areas and saying a little gray here and a little gray there add up to a darker gray in the bigger picture. And so I think the future is having a lot more connective, uh, connectivity around uh, these different elements of technology and making sure that we have visibility so that we're putting the pieces together. Let's talk about the underwriting process and maybe what it was in the past, what it is now, and what it's looking to be in the future. Sure. Um, so the product's only you know a little over 20 years old. So historically, it was um, a really invasive and very limited type of coverage that you would get. It might be just a little bit of liability. There was none of the first party coverages that we have now. So what we're seeing is more rigorous underwriting, honestly. It's scanning of your network. Um, it's underwriting calls, depending on your meeting. Um, depending on the size of your organization, it really depends if there's actual underwriting meetings. Um, some of my clients, we actually go in, to London and do a presentation um, to really gain interest, especially if you have a large tower. So. It's, um, it's a rigorous process, and most of the insurance com companies are actually hiring cybersecurity professionals, former CISOs. So they are evaluating your organization, asking very in-depth questions, and really, really looking under the hood more so than they ever have before. Um, and if you are, say, manufacturing, they're going to ask a lot of questions around operational technology, and uh, more so than we ever have before. And for a lot of organizations, it's a good way of really evaluating where you are from a cybersecurity standpoint, what your posture looks like. But I would say a lot of organizations may not be prepared. So really having that prep time, um, having your broker help you with your underwriting presentation, if you do have one, is really critical. No. That's really good, good information and, and for businesses to know. So I know we, we covered a lot of information here today uh, around cyber insurance and cybersecurity. And it's, it's a topic that I think is gonna be around for, for the foreseeable future. Um, so I, I, I wanna thank you both for, for joining us today. And just give you one more chance, is there anything else or, or maybe give um, a, a best practice for, for a company, Fred, as, as, as a takeaway for them from this podcast? Yeah. Uh, Really, your cybersecurity posture is an iterative process. You're going to continue to invest in this. That's an important thing to remember. It's not a build at one time and then you're complete. And uh, really, one of the most overlooked areas that people will invest lots of uh, good use uh, of money into remediation protection is you could build the strongest walls and the best doors possible, but the number one factor that people overlook oftentimes is the individual people at your company. And so really investing in the training of your staff, making sure that they understand through simulations, through training uh, sessions, and really through real world experience where you're sharing, here's what happened, and making that a learning opportunity. That's an area where that investment pays the most dividends because one individual uh, can be the single most uh, weakest link in a, in a security system. And, and organizations that make that investment, uh, they're seeing the rewards. Uh, so it's not an either or, but uh, I would say that's an area that most people overlook. No, that's a good point. And, and the investment cost is probably more time than anything, right? And it, it, it's cheap. And if you just take the time to do it, you can avoid so much more risk in, in the future. That's right. Uh, one thing on that is, uh, you know, a lot of organizations, when they go through this training, one of the byproducts we see is not only are people not getting hacked, they're actually becoming beacons. They're saying, here's what's happening. This is an email I received. Here was a suspicious activity that I saw. And so now our alert and our visibility is actually improved. So not only are we less risk, we're actually also more protected. 
no, that's a great point. Lacey, is there anything you'd like to, to tell our audience or give them you know, like one last highlight uh, as far as around cyber insurance? Well, I'll just echo what um, Fred said about cybersecurity and the focus on that. Uh, there's a recent report we're saying, you know, organizations that have a strong cybersecurity profile are, you know, typically going to be more productive. Um, they're typically, um, you know, more financially responsible as well. So really making sure that you're, in, you're investing in your IT infrastructure is critical. But I think, you know, it's really the basics like multi-factor authentication and access control. Um, and then also, looking at newer technology and if it's the right fit for your organization, um, endpoint detection and response, next generation firewalls, um, really evaluating what do you have, but then also using the tools correctly. Um, you know, if you get some really fancy vehicle that you can't drive, it really doesn't do a whole lot for you. So really understanding what the capabilities are, um, but also just really the incident response, I think is critical. You know, we talked about this earlier, how do you communicate with your employees? It's a good question for a lot of companies. Um, do you fall back? Do you have a text messaging service? Is there an email? Do you have backup emails? Um, so, you know, really testing that plan is really critical and understanding how long is it going to take you to recover from your backups. Um, if it's if you're a huge organization, it's like turning a battleship, right? So, really making sure that you understand you have that visibility and that open communication as well. Um, and it, you know, all of those combined. Um, you know, we have a renewal checklist. We are actively scanning our clients to make sure that they're ready for their renewals as well. So having that communication with your broker and really looking at the resources available with your policies is, um, I think is it's gonna help your organization be more resilient, which is, I think what we're all looking for. Yeah, no, you're right. It's, it's having a plan and executing, and, and, and that's a key is, is making sure that uh, not only business owners are executing it, but it's the employees as well. well I want to thank you both again for, for joining us here today and, and really talking about a sensitive, uh, a sensitive topic in, in today's environment. So Thank you. Thank you. Sharing Knowledge is brought to you by Westfield Bank, hosted by Kevin Vondro, Chief Lending Officer. From the imagination and creativity of Chris Van Osdale, Elise Love, Suzanne Favory, Corinne Wilson, Kartika M. Caffey, the marketing and communications strategist at Westfield Bank. Produced, edited, and mixed by Shark and Minnow. Learn more at westfield-bank.com forward slash SKS. Sharing knowledge and shedding light on the financial industry to empower financial freedom. The Sharing Knowledge series of videos, podcast episodes, articles are for informational purposes only and is not intended to serve as legal, tax, financial investment, accounting, or regulatory advice. Opinions expressed and third-party information shared herein do not reflect the opinions of Westfield Bank, Westfield Group, or any of its subsidiaries or affiliates. The information shared does not constitute nor is intended as an offer or solicitation for the purchase or sale of any product or service. Testimonials may not be representative of the experience of other customers and are not guarantees of future performance or success. Bank products and services provided by Westfield Bank, member FDIC, an equal opportunity lender.